Welcome to the I-29 MUU Dairy Podcast. I-29 MUU University is a consortium of land-grant universities in Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, and Nebraska. This podcast covers timely news, information, and research for today's dairy industry. Welcome to another episode of I-29 MUU Dairy Podcast. I'm Kim Clark, Nebraska Extension Dairy Educator, and I'm joined today by Jim Salfer, University of Minnesota Regional Extension Dairy Educator, and Tracy Erickson, Dairy Extension Field Specialist from South Dakota State University. Welcome. 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 Thanks, Kim. Yeah, it's been really a good farming year overall, and I think you guys in South Dakota were drier I think we got just enough rain I mean our crops were they were above average they weren't record-breaking but we just got enough rain so it was nice and dry you could work in the field and get stuff out in time how about you Nebraska how were your yields um Kim good yeah we were actually really good I was I've been talking to producers asking them how their alfalfa has been and even their fifth cutting alfalfa was 190 RFB. Okay. Wow. Usually you just see that for the first, maybe second, um, but they even through their fifth cutting. So yeah, pretty good. I don't know. I don't know what their yield was, but um, still really good. That's the one thing um, as they start breaking into the new silage piles and stuff here, I think it'll be interesting to see around our neck of the woods here. And that should probably start shortly with some of them, but you know, we were just a little drier here and our yields were down a little bit, but the corn was really dense, you know, and really heavy. And so, you know, I I think it'll just be interesting to see what the overall net energy is and where they end up, that kind of thing with it. But, you know, it might not impact it as much as I think, but I mean, we weren't excessively dry, but, you know, it, it still impacted some yields. But up north, I mean, they had enough moisture, but there was a pocket in here you know, from here to Sioux Falls, we were a little, it, I wouldn't call it outstanding, but it wasn't awful either, yields. So Are you, Is your feed feeding pretty well? Our corn silage seems like it's feeding well this year. And, you know, people that are just starting to get into it, but yeah. really hasn't been that dip in production that a lot of times you see. So it seems like that part's going okay too. Yeah. And like I said, ours are really just starting to open up our piles, but I haven't, you know, heard any major concerns yet either. So... You know, and one thing I was kind of curious about, I was looking for people's opinions, you know, as far as COVID and impacting how robots are influencing that, you know, as far as expansions and labor and things like that to know if they're, you know, if see if you guys have seen anything that I saw impact or a article here from Forbes and how they think it's going to continue to really push and grow some um, because of COVID a little bit, you know, and other factors too, and, and just on the side of labor. And so that kind of intrigued me, you know, that I hadn't even given that a thought that, yep, you know what, that's right with the influence of labor that, you know, we, and COVID and all the regulations and, and it might help if we ever have another pandemic happen again or something like that down the lines because of the fragileness of the industry where labor could be an issue with another pandemic that robots help stabilize that, you know, you're not quite as dependent then. So I was kind of curious what your thoughts were on that too. 
Don't yeah, you think an- all industries will have more, be driving more toward technology, maybe not just because of the pandemic and because of COVID, but I think it's going to basically speed up that process. And that's what's really happening. And if you look on farms, if you track labor wages, wage increases across farms over the last few years, laborers, they've gone up about four or 5%. So they've gone up faster than kind of the general wage inflation. There's just a lot of pressure on those kind of positions. The other thing that's happened happened is over time, there's been less Hispanics coming from Central America. You know, and it's not, a lot of it has nothing to do with getting across the border. A lot of it has to do with the Mexican economy becoming better. And there's just more opportunities for them to stay home. I often tell farmers, they're not coming to Minnesota or the upper Midwest because of our weather. They're coming because that's where the jobs are. They just, most of us would prefer to be at home and work. And so over time, I think people look at that market. And that's why partially you'll see more people coming from Central America, more Guatemalans, more people from Honduras that are coming up just because they've got to go farther south where the economy is a little bit more depressed. And so I think over time, Tracy, whether there's a pandemic or not, I just think you're going to continue to see the adoption of technology. And there was an article I read a few years ago that talked about the two industries that were adopting technology the fastest were agriculture and the medical community. And that probably makes sense. And so I think we're just going to, whether it's tractors, I mean, look at tractors. It's not unique to dairy. Look at the other industries. And we're just going to continue to see this, whether it's robots or sensors or all kinds of other technologies that are going to be adapted. Partly because dairy is because it's such a labor intense, uh, such a labor intense industry. And I think on on the labor side, so if we look at that, the Hispanic labor that came from South and Central America, they've now branched out and have started to learn other trades. So I think of construction trades, and they've branched out enough where they're owning their own company. So initially, when they came into the United States looking for labor, agriculture is where they went. Right. So that was maybe one of the easiest places or or most demanding places needed for labor. But then they branched out and expanded and added other trades to their expertise. And so it's it's more difficult to find labor, much more difficult to find labor. And you can talk to any dairy farmer. You know, they're always hiring, always looking for labor. And I think the advancements of trades, so the expansion of labor within the trades, has hindered the dairy industry for employment. But as Jim, as you mentioned, the substantial increase in in income salary for each employee has really created challenges as well. And it's an interesting concept of how COVID is maybe advancing the automation for the dairy industry more rapidly or progressively than we would have thought before. As I think of businesses in general that had employees working remotely, how many have made announcements that even moving forward, all employees are going to continue to work remote. I would agree with you on that statement, Kim. That's one thing we, you know, when this first started that uh, in relation to not just agriculture, but industry in general, both my husband and I had that discussion that, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of storefronts that will be empty and, you know, people working from home, which in that result back to the dairy industry, you know, it means that more people are going to be purchasing products that they are going to be able to eat at home. They're going to be making them at home and they're not going to be eating out. 
which hopefully will continue to be good for the dairy industry like it has been going forward. But back to on the robot side, the other thing that I think is quite interesting happening, at least in our neck of the woods around here, is that instead of just rotary barns going in with robots, we now see a a continued growth in box stall robots being put in the single stall in large dairies too. And, you know, and so you think about that, what are you seeing or hearing in regards to anything as far as break-evens? You know, we hear, we know robots are more expensive than a parlor system, but there's got to be a point where due to potential increase in milk production, maybe less labor costs, you know, where, where's that break-even point? Have you guys heard anything there? fluctuating that way. Yeah, we've we got some models that we've run and of course models are as good as the numbers you put in those. But one of the models we looked at is a 1500 cow dairy with a double 25 parlor milking three times a day. So that was our comparison. So it's a greenfield brand new uh, 1500 cow dairy with 25 robots versus a double 24 parlor that's milking three times a day. And we looked at, and our spreadsheet allows us to do a backwards calculation. Right now, the economics would indicate that uh, the robot barn is not as profitable as the parlor or the, yeah, the Mm -hmm. parlor situation. But when we back calculated and said, well, how much would you have to pay your milkers in order to have that profitability exactly the same between those two facilities? And we usually end up uh, in the mid $20 an hour range. And that would be all your employee costs. And I know there's some producers that I've talked to in Minnesota that are good, high producing farms, profitable farms that pay some benefits to the employees. So they probably get some vacation. They probably get a stipend for health care. They think their milkers are probably pushing $20 an hour when they include all their costs. So I think that's part of it. The other factor that we often don't think about is we, when you put in robots, your payments are fixed for those robots over a period of time. I'm guessing most employees are going to want wages over that same period of time. So our Our spreadsheet also allows us to put in a wage inflation. And as you might expect, when you start putting in three and four and 5% wage inflation, that's why there's some variation around that number. But usually it's, when I run it under different scenarios, you can kind of between about 22 and $27 an hour. And that's losing two pounds of milk going from 3X in your parlor to a robot. So if we can get these robots to milk as well, or maybe even a pound or two more, because, you know, our cows aren't in holding areas or in stable groups, it really becomes, you could almost say a wash between these two systems. And so I think that there's a couple of reasons. Obviously, it's a tightness of labor in these large dairies, but otherwise they're looking at it and they're looking, you know, long-term labor is going to continue to be tight and it's going to be harder to get. Um, I, so I think that's it, one of the reasons people are looking at that. Yeah, and Jim, along those lines, did, in your guys' model, did you see any reduction? And I think of the two systems um, with less maintenance, not in general as far as the robots, but was there any less maintenance cost in regards to other equipment, buildings and facilities because you've got less repairs, all those different things? Did any of that happen to come up? You know, because I think about that system and I think about going forward with a robot barn, when you walk into it, the animals, you know, it's calm, there's less uh, movement typically, as far as, you know, equipment running up and down the aisle, a lot of things like that, everything's fairly automated. I mean, there's still maintenance, but you know what I'm saying? You know, the general repairs as far as those doors, gates, all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, there's a lot less skid steer loader blight in these barns. I mean, <laughs> exactly. I, I was trying that's... to say it nicely, but that's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah, and I mean, that's not unique to a robot barn. But to your point, Tracy, you know, I get in this discussion with a lot because you can build, quote unquote, a cheap robot barn and a more expensive robot barn. I tell people, robot barn is an entire technology system. You're just not sticking a robot in a freestyle barn. Kind of right. to your point, you're going to want to automate it because one of the big advantages of saving labor. So I think it's a little different mindset for producers. You know, maybe it doesn't matter whether you're to put in a rotary parlor or a parallel parlor or a herringbone parlor. But when you when you make that leap to robots, it's an entire technology system. So to make it work most efficiently, you've got to have that mindset. So you're probably going to have a barn that's a little more enclosed. Now, retrofits are maybe a little bit different, but you don't want things freezing up in them. You know, you want probably automated manure removal systems. There's companies coming out and really trying to determine how we can more automate the bedding systems if we can. It's actually a farm over here that has like a, a, it'd be a belt feeder above their stalls. And that's how they put their um, bedding in the stalls to try and avoid going in that pen. So one of the things you need to try to do is, is leave the cows in the pens and not bother them as much as possible. So I encourage farms that are thinking about is, is think about it as a whole system. Now, again, as I mentioned, retrofits, you can't always do that. So they're not going to be quite as labor efficient. But yeah, I would assume you're going to have less wear and tear on those facilities. You're going to have more repairs with, you know, your your repairs with your scrapers and with your robots and things like that. But I, I think you need that mindset as we go forward. Is there a point within your models, Jim, that you've looked at where robots make more economic sense than building a new parlor or expanding an operation? They always do in a small dairy depending on how big you're going to get. We ran models and I, I guess I should run them maybe every 100 cows all the way up to 1,500 cows to kind of determine a break even. But we ran up to, because we were trying to look at like these family dairies where they really don't want to hire a lot of labor. And we went up to 240 cows, even on 3X, robots make a lot more sense partly because the cost of a new parlor isn't cheap either. And what I did is just called some dealers and said, okay, kind of give me the price of a mid-range parlor that people with 250 cows are putting in. So not a parlor with every bell and whistle you can get, kind of a parlor that those people would look at. Now, the disadvantage of that is I, you know, even at 240 cows, milking 3X, I always use a double eight parlor because nobody's going to, you know, very few people are going to put in less than a double eight. And so even 240 cows, I can milk 3X in probably 12 hours a day. So the advantage, of course, is a parlor, you can, I can add a fair number of cows to that and not invest more in a milking system. Whereas if I put in a robotic system, I have to invest in a milking system. Now there's two ways you can look at that. Robotic systems are much more modular. You know, if I'm going to eventually going to go to 1,500 cows and I'm going to say, well, I don't want to be adding on my parlor, you're going to probably build a double 24 parlor, something like that. And you're going to be milking two or three or four or 500 cows till I get to my 1,500. With a robotic dairy, they can be more modular. So I'm going to build you know, 60 or 70 cow implements for every robot I'm going to put in. And so there's there's multiple ways you can kind of look at it. I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, but I clearly can say for these small, smaller, you know, 240 cow dairies that you're really better off looking at robots. And about half of that profit, they're, they're more profitable. And half of that comes from labor savings. And about half of that comes from increased milk production. And I, I don't know if we use the right number. I use about five pounds more 
with a robot than I do with a conventional dairy if they're milking twice a day. And I think that's, you know, that number can be pretty variable, but I think that's probably not too bad of a number. You know, it's probably going to vary between three and six, seven, eight pounds. If you get more than six or seven pounds, a lot of that's going to come from the barn. You know, you're going to be going to more comfortable stalls or something like that. From the producers I work with, anyone milking 250 or less is exactly who is looking at milking robots. They want to continue on the family farm. They are having a difficult time with labor or they want to completely shift their management from managing people to managing cows, which is what you get with robots, right? And so just a number of reasons, but it's 250 cows or less has been the magical number for anyone looking at robots and actually anyone who's put in robots here in Nebraska. And of those that have put in robots, they are actually have been so pleased with them. They're looking to do uh, an expansion of their robots. So they did build their robot barns and their robots with the mirror image in mind. So of, of doubling and uh, they, they built so they could essentially flip their barn mirror image for their expansion. And so I, I think they've been working out really well. Uh, they've been pleased with them. Milk production wise, Jim, as you mentioned, they're seeing better milk out of the robots versus what they were in the parlor. You know, some of that could be parlor management, maybe even some nutritional differences. But as you mentioned, that 240, 250 number is kind of the magical number for the robots. You know, I've got a quick question for the both of you. I've been sitting here thinking about, you know, when we always know in robots, it touts, you know, better herd health, more time for the family, those obligations. But when they talk about herd health, has any studies been completed looking at, you know, as far as you're now able to spend more time, maybe on some of the other areas of the farm or the dairy herd, for example, the young stock health, reproductive health, genetics, things like that as a side benefit of having more management time available. Has there been any studies that either of you are aware of? Um, I have not seen any yet, but maybe you guys have that show that side benefit from robots or maybe not. Just you know, I haven't, you know, I haven't seen that, but I get in a question a lot about what's my milk production going to change when I get robots? And I tell people it's kind of these three factors. One is milking frequency, right? I mean, just your milking frequency with robots, you're going to milk probably more than 2x or less than 3. So that's going to affect your milk production compared to your system before. The other one is really your labor sparing effect. And I think that's what you're getting to, Tracy, is on many of our family farms, the work never gets done, right? You right. got to stop. You got to stop to milk cows because the hay's, the hay's ready, but the cows need to be milked. So you're not getting your hay up on time and you're not getting your calf pens cleaned like you should. And you're not getting your fans cleaned like you should. And you're not getting your vaccinations done on time. And so I call it a labor sparing effect. I don't know if anybody's tried to quantify that. And of course, the other one is the barn effect that I talked about. You know, often if you build a new barn, you're going to go to a more comfortable barn. So I don't have the mix, but I think those three are the factors that affect milk production in a robot system. So I'm not surprised when I hear production has gone up 10 pounds per cow per day. Uh, that's not all due to the robot. Well, in a way it is, as you mentioned, Tracy, it's a labor sparing effect. You're getting work done that you just flat out didn't have time to get done before. So I think it's real, 
How big it is, I don't really know. But I, I think that's a real factor on a lot of these, especially the smaller farms that Kim was talking about, where you don't have a lot of hired labor or you don't want to hire labor. You just It just allows you to get work done that you couldn't before. I would agree with you, Jim. I haven't seen any studies either on um, the health benefits of cows that are managed in robots. I can tell you from visual observation and talking with producers, they like having more time with cows, that they can be in the barn cleaning up the stalls themselves, um, watching the cows versus trying to manage the labor, hire labor, etc. And so they, just from that standpoint alone, they've been really pleased with the time that they have to really focus on animal care and well-being. But I'd be curious to see future researcher studies that can come out related to the health benefits of robots, comparing them to conventional production. Yeah, and it's a very different type of labor. You know, when you go into these, I think uh, kids are much more willing to come back and work in a robot barn than if you say, you know, we're kind of tight of labor. You've got to milk, you know, five shifts a week or something. Not just a lot of people want to do that. And even hiring labor, I think it's going to be, you're different. It's a different type of labor. You're going to have to pay them more. But I think it might be easier to find the type of labor that's willing to work in a robotic system than maybe standing in a pit of a parlor for several hours per day. Well, I appreciate everyone's comments today related to some of the economics of robots and and some of the management shifts with milking robots. So that is another episode of I-29 Moo You Dairy podcast. I-29 Moo You is an equal opportunity provider for the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries go to extension.iastate.edu forward slash diversity forward slash ext.